What a fun time you guys are about to have. Yeah. We had a blast. Um, Izzy Fortin or Isabel? Well, yeah, yeah, Isabel, but she, Izzy, is, you know, her website. I think she goes by Izzy. She's amazing. And uh, it's not just about her uh, profession, which is amazing. And the the interview starts with us talking a little bit about her profession. So don't get, uh, don't tune out too quick. Because the juicy good stuff comes after about the first 10 or 15 minutes. And then her personality really, really, really comes forth. And she is a firecracker. A rebel. A rebel. That's right. Um, And so really, we hope you enjoyed this as much as we did making it. Please, uh, again, subscribe to whatever channel you're listening to us on. Go to our website, mopedoutlaws.com, and click on the link for merchandise and to go to our store and buy some stuff. And then we want to thank our sponsors, Adrenochrome Cola, um, the the ref- drink that's refreshingly elite. Um, we really are, are grateful for them. And uh, Art, man, Art continues to do a great job producing us. We're really happy for that. And, uh, yeah. That's it for now. Looking forward to the next episode. And we got some surprises coming down the line. This fourth season is looking good. Sis, hello? Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. <laughs> and now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. Welcome to another episode of Moped Outlaws. Today we are super stoked to have our guest, Isabel Fortin. Is that Hi. correct? Did yes, I pronounce it? Is. All the way from what city in Canada? Montreal, Canada. Which unusually is currently warmer than Northern California in the winter. And we were just discussing that fact. It's 41 degrees where Greg and I are and 44 degrees Fahrenheit in Montreal. This is strange. The world is upside down. Something's amiss. But you know what, Mark? This is absolutely unusual for us as it is for you guys, I'm sure. Because like... This time of year, it would normally be about m- between minus four and minus 10 Fahrenheit here. And now Whoa. it's 44. Oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah, yeah but- so for me, I'm having the best winter. <laughs> the forest fires are still smoldering enough to keep everything warm, apparently. Uh, yo, that was a bad summer. Yeah. This smelled like barbecue. <laughs> No, that wasn't fun. Yeah. And I heard, I don't know if that's true or not, but I I heard that some people in New York wanted to sue the country, wanted to sue Canada because, because our forests were, 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 I can tell you right there, that's what's wrong with America. They think the answer is to sue somebody. And, and yeah. And, you know, like, who are you going to sue the fire? (laughs) Like we didn't put the, you know, we're losing our forests and our trees and our, yeah, but you know. You guys, it's a national sports for you, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> we are taking a venturing in the Olympics when they come back to the United States. Well, it's, uh, it's so funny because I drove my motorcycle from Los Angeles to Montreal. Oh, wow. And I have never seen as many lures like signs on the side of the highways and, you know, on the a paper placemat in restaurants and you don't get that here. Here you want to you want a lawyer, you have to look you have to go online and look for one. You're they don't advertise anywhere. So hmm. yeah, so that was what the hell? Like every on every mile on the highway depending on where I was, there was a big goddamn sign for a new lawyer. It was just yeah, that was strange for me. <laughs> Well, I have a question. So um, you're, I'm going to butcher this word, but you're an entrepreneur, correct? Yes, that's okay. You can butch that word all, all you want. I am. Actually, I'm a mindset coach, but I work with companies instead of work. Well, I obviously work with people inside companies, but my target audience are more uh, corporative than, than they are individuals. 
So and is that the HR department or do you prefer? Actually, like sales, I, I deal with say, sales team managers. Got so it. I help them understand that you can't treat sales rep the, the same way you treat other employees because they are not the same. So if you actually want to to get something out of there, out of them, you almost have to treat them like clients. It's hmm. your job to provide them the tools and don't piss them off asking them where the fuck they were on a Tuesday at, at 4.15. They're going to lie to you. They're going to make up some fucking story and they're going to lie to you. So that's what I do. I help the managers to understand that you can't teach, you can't treat them the same way. And if you treat your sales rep properly, then the money is going to be flowing because whatever objective you have for them, like the sales uh, objectives that, that you have for them, you can bet your ass they, they're, theirs is higher because they're working for themselves, right? Why is that not a part of business school? Oh, goodness gracious, Greg, I have no idea. But it's not. That's crazy. <clears throat> and actually, it's it's still very much, you know, I want to report and I want to know what time you left your house. And they're, they are drowned in paperwork and charts. And, and yeah, no, it's, it's unbelievable. But you know what? I'm, you know, being an opportunist. <laughs> is emotional intelligence the key to shifting this, that relationship that you're working at? Uh, yes, actually most team managers that I, that I deal with are stuck between the rock and a hard place. They don't want to drown their sales rep in reports and charts and, um, but they're stuck between higher management, like they're middle management, right? So they're stuck between, high management and the actual sales rep who's telling them to F off on a regular basis. So um, I think it starts at the head. If the CEO doesn't understand that you can't treat sales rep like you treat your engineers or your even your customer service reps, um, then it's, it's doomed from the start. So and I'll unfortunately, that's still extremely frequent. So you're differentiating a sales rep from an engineer. Are you saying that the Department of Engineering is more reliant on paperwork and reporting? I think that in general, engineers tend to be more structured as structured as individuals and real sales reps. You know, the, the ones that can sell a, an umbrella in the desert are free spirited and they want their freedom and they're, they're mavericks and rebels and, and they don't want to be bothered. They want freedom and that's what they do. And they don't want to tell you they went to the movies on a Thursday at, in the afternoon. They don't want and to tell you that. Is rebellion and freedom a successful component of their yeah. um, mindset and why? 100%. Because that's in their nature. It's as simple as that, Mark. It really is. If if you go against anybody's true, profound nature, you know, if I ask you, I I don't know you, and I'm I'm gonna you you told me it was okay to bust you up, but if I tell you, you know, Mark, you really need to become a a, a ballerina, you know, because it'd be good for my business if you became a ballerina. Well, you you're gonna start looking for a job because there's no fucking way in hell you're fitting in a tutu. Well, it's the same thing. That's what I said. <laughs> and, you know, that's sad because you'd make a very pretty ballerina. But <laughs> for those of us who are, yeah, for those of you who are listening, I just got up and did a 360 degree turn. In his toe shoes. <laughs> yeah, with his... Uh, his uh, red and black. Uh, what's that Just word? Just so you know, my shoes match my shirt. Look, oh, I, see how pretty you are. He looks Aww. like a lumberjack, doesn't he? Straight from Canada. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Yeah, you decided but, to, to dress the part to meet me today. <laughs> but back to what yeah. you're saying about the recognition of people's mindset and their ident identity is the key to unlocking their poor performance metrics, right? Yes. It, it, and that goes for everybody. Yeah. 
that goes for everybody. And actually, that's one of the first things. I, I don't want this to be all about business, but that's one of the first thing that I have the team do is I have the, the, the manager tell me things about their team and about every uh, individual in their team and not only their performance, like he sold for X number of millions. I truly don't care how many millions he sold for. Is, is he in a good mood? Is he polite when he talks to you? Is he more happy than unhappy and all that good stuff? But I have the team do the same thing about their their boss or their team leader. And I have that done. And most of the time, the only resistance that I get is I impose the fact that that's going to be anonymous because I don't care who said what. I just want to know what comes out. So if at a, a team of five, four people say that, you know, the boss is always grumpy or whatever, well, then I know there's, first of all, I don't know who said that. So, so there's a truth to that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my questions aren't always only work-related. It's ambiance-related. And it's how do you guys relate? And when, as far as the team is concerned, not only do they, do they give an, an evaluation of the boss, but they give an evaluation of each and every one of them. So X is going to talk about, you know, the off, the alpha dog, but he's going to talk about B and C. And, and because again, if, Every single team leader says the same thing about one particular team member. Well, there's a, you know, there's a possibility that there's a lot of truth there. So we need to address that. And the second thing that we do is, is we do, um, uh, like a personal, a personality test. It's called the Nova test. The, 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 the metric that I use is, is Nova. And, but it's not only you go on the internet and you answer four questions and something comes out. It's like 120 questions. And after that, I sit down with every single one and I say, okay, this is what came out for you. And this is just between you and I, I'm not, this is a private conversation. So, you know, so I know where, where are your motivations? What do you wish to accomplish? What, whatever. And if it's completely incongruent where the business is going, I'm literally going to tell the employee, you know what? You're never going to get that. Maybe you should look for a job. Hmm. And what's and that's better than trying to stay someplace you don't fit, right? So, but there's also a Nova test for the entire team, so that the boss, the manager, the leader, whatever, can say, okay, so when it comes to paperwork, you should give it to Steve because he thrives on that. He's good at that, and because he's good at it, because he likes it. He, it's going to take him half an hour instead of taking five hours out of your team to do it individually. So it maximizes, it, it, it emphasizes on what they like, what they're naturally good at, what they're interested in. And what, you know, when, when you go to work and you love what you do, this isn't hard. You just, you know, and it changes like in three months and 90 days, we changed our entire dynamic, a sales team are rarely become, they're rarely going to become really good buddies and they're not going to go for a beer after work. They want out, they want to go back to their family and their real lives. In comparison to an engineering team or who more than likely, you know, play basketball, in my case, hockey together, and they, they kind of hang out and their wives know one another and and, but you don't get that with sales teams because they're more individualist. That's just in their nature. So the question comes up, what about your life experience led you to such pearls of wisdom and insight into these types <laughs> of teams? Uh, there's two. Um Theoretically, one came before the other, but I'm going to switch the, I'm going to reverse and you're going to understand why. My first job, it was in the military. I served in the Canadian Air Force for a decade. And what that brought to my life is the fact that you are forced to work as a team with people you don't like. 
And you're forced to do that because quite often your life actually depends on them doing their job properly. So you don't have to like them to trust them with their lives. And you don't like to, you don't need to like them in order to work well with these people. You just have to understand who does what and why and what they're good at. And when you recognize what people are good at, it gives them value and simplifies the relationship. So that's my first answer. My second answer is I'm good at reading people. So technically that came before, right? I've been good at reading people ever since I was a kid. But in in the grand scheme of what my um, careers, because I've had many, uh, look like, uh, the military formed what what I now do. And the military taught me how to... Uh, how to do uh, public speaking and how to convey an interview and how to design a a course so that you end up speaking with everybody because not not everybody um, understands or uh, processes information the same way. So I learned that actually when I was in the Air Cadets at like 13, 14 years old. So what was the role that you played in the military that had you acquire that skill set? Uh... I was, at the end of my career, I was, uh, it's called TCON, it's train, training control. So it was my job to make sure that every team member, or we were 190 in my squadron, I think. Yeah, three sections, yeah. So so each individual had were were on top of their recurrent training, their next qualification levels, and and it was I was resp- responsible for booking everything. So the actual course, how to get there, their their claims, their whatever, and and I got to know the peeps enough to know. Okay, so he likes to fly at night. I know that he prefers to get there a day earlier. He wants to get back as soon as possible because his wife just gave birth. And so adapt what I was doing or what I could control actually to each and every single individual. How did the Canadian Air Force determine that you had these capabilities? What was the path through your military service career that had this result be the emergent result? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Nobody ever asked me that. Um, well, I did, you know, the regular path of boot camp and then uh, uh, training in my trade, trade, trade training. Um, and, you know, when you're a grunt, you, you do what you're told and, you know, you're in the, uh, you're in the, uh, how high do you want me to jump, sir? Kind of phase, which, you can already guess, I think, 16 minutes in that that was not my favorite. Um, and uh, actually, it was I, I think it was kind of by accident or by serendipity that somebody just basically retired and I was there and I had been that person's right hand woman. And and it just it was a, like a natural uh, process or. Yeah. And that's can I probe a little deeper on that relationship? Is that okay with you? Of course, yeah. Was that person a male? Nope. Got it. Yeah, she was my sergeant. I was a master corporal at that time, and uh, no, she was my sergeant. And she actually, she retired not by age, but by because she had a, a sick kid, and she needed to, either her or her civilian husband had to, quit their job. And since he was making literally three times her salary, that was not a natural thing for them to do. Got it. Yeah. And this set of skills emerged from the background of the standard Canadian air force assessment criteria. Process. Yeah. 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 So they, no, no, nobody did me in favor. I had right. the qualifications. Yeah. And what were those? I mean, mm. did you have an education degree? Did you have, how did you land in that spot? I, um, no, I have a high school diploma. I joined, actually, funny story. I, on my way to boot camp, it's, it's the um, scene of a movie because I walked in the bus in wearing my graduation gown. Wow. 
Yeah, just, okay, so now it's off the boot camp. But being in the military was the family business. Both my parents had served. And when I joined, my brother was an Air Force pilot. So I didn't, I didn't really question myself in high school. It's what am I going to do when school is over? It was just as soon as this, it was close enough in time. Um, mm. Like it was six weeks before, I guess, that I, that I went to recruit school, uh, rec- uh, recruiting center and that I started uh, filling out the paperwork and the tests and the medical thing and the interviews and all that good stuff while I was in school. And telling them that I'm available starting this day because I'm graduating high school comes hell or high water. And I I truly don't understand why, because I hated school, but for me, it it never dawned. Actually, it it dawned on me like 30 years later that not finishing high school was an option. It was at the time it wasn't, it was just, that's what you do. You finish high school and then you can start the rest of your life. So that's what I did. Yep. Mm. So, in my mind, the military is very stoic, non-emotional. And part of what you're speaking of with what you're doing now is relationships, yeah. discovering who one is and the relationship with others, which is not stoic and often very emotional. That's very true, uh, Greg. And you know what? I went, I took that pendulum and I, when I quit the military, I swing it all the way across the other side, dude, because when I, uh, I think in the, uh, the U S it's called an honorable discharge here. It's called a release. So you release from the military. So when I applied for my release, um, I became a massage therapist. Uh. So I swung that goddamn thing all the way on the other side because I want, I need it for my personality, for, for my own growth. I needed a little bit more human connection. I needed more humanity, but I have to be honest with you, Greg, I worked with very human bosses, except for one that was a real asshole. But other than that, they were really kind people and, of course, they, they were confined in the military set ways of doing things. But yeah, I was, I got really lucky when it came to that. So, but I, I needed, I needed the other extreme. I needed the touchy feely and the let's get in touch with your emotions. And I, I needed that. And now I'm in my fifties. I need, I need things to be a little bit more. You know, somewhere comfortable between the two. So what was happening for you in the military that was rubbing you the wrong way where you were like, I need something more touchy feely? Everything. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) Um, it was. I quit the military. I'm, I'm, I'm hot-blooded. What I'm Go ahead. Wondering, Go ahead. Like you said you applied for discharge. Yeah. For, for a release. Yeah. Release. Yeah. So, actually, actually it was just ending, ending in my papers. That's, that's all it was. And it, it was 30 days. Right. But the thing is, is something was happening for you personally where you're like, I'm going to apply for release. Yeah. What was happening? It was, so the straw, I'm, like I was, like I was saying, I'm, a, I'm really hot blooded. I'm French Canadian. So I'm really, really hot blooded. And wow. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't look back, dude. Um, I, somebody pissed me off. And in that moment, in, in that moment in time in my life and in that particular moment, both, it was, yeah, you're, you're kind of peeing my conflicts here, dude, and you don't get to do that. So it made me see that I hadn't been happy in a long time because of the structure and that, that it just made me realize that's it. It was just a aha moment that perhaps this is not where I belonged. And it took me 
oh, another three decades to realize why I had joined the military to begin with and that perhaps it wasn't exactly the right path for me. But it was okay. You know, like, it's all good, right? It was okay that I joined. It was okay that I left. It was just, you can only connect the dots when you look back. So when... On, on looking back, I realized why I had joined, why I had, what what my real motivation had been. Okay, so what was your real motivation? Oh, that's, uh, okay, where are my tissues? No, no. You wanted to please daddy. <laughs> no, I wanted to live mom's life. Mom's life, got it. Yeah, mom passed. I was five, she was 36, and she had been in the military and unconsciously I had, when she died and I was five, I kind of had decided that I was going to live her life instead of, because she didn't get to. So I joined the military and I was looking for, I was looking for daddy. I, I, you know, my dad is a great, great guy. He's a kind man and a soft spoken man and, and a funny man. So, you know, like the first, few uh partners or uh, um, boyfriends that i got were all had something similar to what dad because i wanted to try to live my mom's life but that's you know fifty thousand dollars therapy in and three decades later that i realized that that's what i had been doing yeah have you come to a place where you've forgiven yourself for that oh good god yeah oh yeah i i was five when i took that decision unconsciously I can't be mad at myself for for wanting to honor someone I loved, right? Because I loved her. We were very, very similar. And that that also contributed to to it is hearing like throughout my childhood how much alike I really was with her and all that good stuff. So it just reinforced the decision I had already made for myself. It's so it's go interesting because there's an element and this probably isn't quite the right word, but an element of triteness to the choice. Like it's, it seems like it's not personal to you. It was a five-year-old girl attempting to live out her mother's life. And yet when Mark asked about what brought you to this place of professional career you're in right now, military was your first answer. Yeah, because it professionally it formed me. I have a I don't have a rigid mindset and I don't have a rigid way of dealing with people, but if you look at my paperwork, I'm I'm like an accountant's wet dream. <laughs> because I get to the office and everything is filed and there's a spreadsheet and it's organized and 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 but half of that is just out of habit. Like I make my bed in the morning. It's a habit. Um, and because that's how my professional career started, I'll, how my professional life started. Right. So I'm really, you know, if you ask me how much taxes I paid in 2015, give me four minutes, just the time <laughs> to turn on that computer. You just This is an aside. You sound like my eldest sister who's been dealing with our mom's estate. She passed away about a year and a half ago. Sorry to hear that. And it's okay. She was, there's a story there. But um, these people down in Nicaragua, that's where my mom lived the last part of her life, have been asking for all this paperwork. And it seems like busy stuff. My sister's like, one moment. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, half of that is out of habit and the other half is out of laziness. Because I don't want to waste my time looking for shit. So I just organize it right away. And so I know where it is. That's so brilliant because it takes effort to organize, but you're just calling it lazy. Well, no, you once you realize that if you're not organized, it actually is harder. Right, right. And yeah. you start to get organized. It, it, takes, it, it, it takes effort to structure the original organization. But after that, it's easy. So when Mark and I first reached out to you, we kind of ton and cheekily said, we're curious about why such a friendly people as the Canadians have a need for our military and air force. And what I'm curious about is here in the United States, as the world knows, 
military is a subversive element. It's a shadowed element of our culture and who we are. Yeah. It's very much got um, large monolithic elements. Is that environment true for Canadian military? That's a good question. Well, there's, I think there's two answers to your question. The first one is not only do Canada and the United States share the longest not militarized border in the world, but the other thing that most people forget is we also share a border with Russia. And we're not the only one protecting the Great North. The Americans are helping us. And in Alaska and on our uh, Canadian base, which is literally steps away from uh, the, the North Pole, the magnetic North Pole, and it, that base is called Alert. And it's there are military full-time base their military personnel and alert at all times to to help Canadians um, uh, protect the Americas from Russia. Um, I think the other aspect of the answer to that question is, I think that the Canadian military looks like the Canadians. So we do a lot of Blue Beret uh, missions and help going to help Afghan police to train them to help them police themselves and to help them, you know, so it's more of a, I think that worldwide we, we've given ourselves and we are known for, uh, being more in the peacekeeping missions than we are the actual fighting missions. However, we did go. Um, we did participate in Desert Storm in the 90s. We participated, we invaded Afghanistan with uh, Bush II, with you guys after 9-11. We, but it was always as a support to our neighbor than it was um, us going to war against anybody. And whenever we go in mission, it's always, there's always uh, a peacekeeping aspect to it. In the Canadian history, do you have something like Bay of Pigs the way we do in the United States where there was true? No, nothing. No, no, we uh, we didn't go to we went to to, uh, Korea, um, but we didn't go to Vietnam. And we the Canadians saved uh, the Netherlands in World War Two. Um, but you know, that was, that was a long, long, long time ago, but since World War II, there wasn't, there hasn't been any big thing like that for us now. Do you think autonomy is a large piece of the political military thought that we're going to be supportive? We share this border. We're also going to ensure we are our own people. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, we left Afghanistan way before you guys ever started discussing that you were going to maybe, perhaps, eventually, kind of uh, leave Afghanistan, right? So I think there are still um, um, military troops in Afghanistan, but it's only in supports to the American in Kandahar, and that's pretty much it. As far as I know, but I've been out for a long, long time. But yeah, as far as I know, that's yeah. So, but yeah, we're we're pretty peaceful, but we're we're not pushovers either. Well, Mounties are considered to be one of the most powerful police forces in the in the globe. Hmm. Their 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 ethos and their convictions and their values are yeah. formidable. Yeah, you can't fuck with a Mountie. I'm telling you. Yeah. And no, seriously, they're, they're, they're no jokes. And, and they're, they're in a lot of small, uh, small towns in the more northern, like, you know, obviously, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, uh, all like, you know, the entire country lives mm-hmm. close to the St. Lawrence River. Um, 
But if you go not that much higher, most of even the small towns, they, the, their police forces, Mounties, and yeah, they, they, excuse my language, but they don't fuck around to hold these guys. They, they're, they're really, 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 and I mean, their recruit school is six months. Wow. So yeah, yeah, yeah they're very well, very well trained. I want to shift to something you said. Um, today oh. I watched two thirds of the, Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin mm. and in it, Vladimir Putin minimized the Russian threat of expansionism. And you mentioned that you guys take seriously that you're protecting North America from the Russians. Yeah. What do you think the level of reality to that threat is and how, um, what it is you're protecting from. And then what about, the training that you receive or the mindset that you're given that has you be worried about Russia is bullshit. What do you think is bullshit and what do you think is real? Huh. I, I truly don't think, and I don't know Vladimir Putin and, and he is one of the very few people on earth. I wish we would kill. Um, I would urge you to watch Tucker's interview. That yeah, day. I will. I didn't even this, know this the whole thing. It's a, it's an effort. It's over two hours long. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think that Russia would try to do to Canada what it did to Ukraine. I don't believe that. I think that Putin is on, even though in his twisted ego, um, driven, sick way i think he's smart enough to know that we would have none of that and that the u.s military would have none of that in a goddamn hurry so i don't think that he would physically invade canada um between between um china korea and Russia, I think that every minute of every day we're on the verge of World War Three, and I don't think that World War Three is going to look like the other two. Hmm. I think it's going to be economical, and yeah, and I I'm not convinced we're not already in it. So you think there will be a war amongst economical structures? Yeah. yeah. And I think well, that Putin, Putin is going to eventually, he may not succeed, but he's going to try to crumble the U.S. And therefore Canada, because I think that in his mind, we're pretty damn close. And we are. I mean, not only are we neighbors, but we are alike. We're not exactly the same, but we're less polarized than you guys, but... But we're similar. I mean, we watch the same TV. We, you know, like we're very, um, our cultures are similar. Some of our best comics are from Canada. Yes. <laughs> do, do you think that we're the funny. idea of, of this perpetuation of the threat of war is a fallacy or real? Do no, you think, I think that it's, it's driven by def defense contractors? No, I think it's ego driven. Okay. I really think Can it's you say more about that. Um, I think it's big men with Napoleon complexes that are just gonna take power because they can, Got it. and because people. I can't remember who said that, but and and I know is someone's. It's a famous quote, and I'm, I should know the name, but um, like evil exists because do because good men do nothing. And I think that that's how Hitler got his second, the, the second world war. And I think that that's what's going to happen with the third one as well. It's just, it's going to be ego driven. It's going to be big mothers that are just going to say, Hey, I'm going to invade Ukraine just because I can. Well, taking that back to your personal career, do you find time? <laughs> where you enter a corporate structure and it's, 
profoundly dysfunctional. Yeah. And it's, and you are out of your comfort zone. It's not comfortable. And part of why they hired you is to move them out of their comfort zone because the comfort zone is dysfunctional. Yeah. So how do you manage your energy when you're pushing against the stream? Keeping it positive, supportive, and changing an element to a functional environment. Because part of what you're saying with egos and these world powers is, in essence, they're like a good person doing nothing is someone who doesn't have the thought or energy to push against the stream. Yeah, that's a very good question. Well, the f- before I get hired, I obviously talk to the to the sales manager, and depending on the size of the company, he can either he doesn't he does or does not control the purse strings, right? So if he does uh, control the purse strings, then it is. For me, in my perspective, it is way less them interviewing me to see if they're going to hire me than it is me interviewing them to see if I'm willing to work with them. Because I'm very energy sensitive and I am not broke enough to destroy my livelihood or my inner peace just to make money. So if the person does not control the purse string, and he's, I'm, I'm speaking to, you know, in male form, it, it, sometimes it is that they are women, but if they don't control the purse string, then I'm going to, to ask to meet with the person who does, because I want to know who I'm dealing with and what's my latitude. And I don't work with people I don't have latitude with. I don't. Life is too short. I'm 52. I'm aging right now. I, I, it's too short. I, I, I don't have that. I, I should, I, I had ovarian cancer seven, seven years ago. I should be dead. Wow. I don't have that kind of time. So, and most of the time, Greg, and you, I'm sure if you've worked in corporate America, you know this, most of the time, if you want a fish to stop stinking, you got to cut its head. <laughs> or freeze it. <laughs> Yeah. So, and that's one of the things is once, you know, everything is signed, not signed, but once everything has been discussed before it is signed, I ask them a few questions, but one of which is when, because it's always when and not if, when we realize who the bad apple is, are you willing to let that person go? And if the answer is no, I don't sign. Is your brother and your father still alive? Yes. How are they with the Izzy who went from military to touchy feely? I have, I have a funny story about that actually, Greg. When I was, okay, so my dad, my mom and dad met in Baden, Germany when they were in the military. However, they came from the, the same small town about an hour away from Montreal. And my my dad is going to be 85 years old soon. He was born in 1939. My mom was born in 1941. So when they were in school, boys went to one school, girls went to another school. And, you know, this is Catholic country. So that's that, that was even worse. So my mom's family was on one street on one side of the boulevard. My dad's family was on the same street on the other side of the boulevard. So they met in Baden, Germany. Long story short, about 10 years after my mom passed, my, my dad, this makes me laugh still. My dad uh, ran into one of my mom's sister. And we, like with the kids, we would go for Christmas, you know, visit grandma and whatever. But my dad would rarely go. Not that he, you know, it, there was nothing bad. I mean, they didn't divorce. She died. It, it, it's nobody's fault. But, you know, they didn't, uh, they weren't really neighbors or, you know, in the same part of town. So he meets her quite by accident. And they started talking. And my aunt said, you know, you've, you've changed, Jack. 
And his reply was, with a daughter like Isabel, you don't have a fucking choice. (laughs) (laughs) I was 15. (laughs) So he saw you. I'm 52 now, so imagine. Now they're used to it. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Same thing with my sister. So it sounds like your, your brother and your father are supportive of who you are. Very much so. That's Very awesome. much so. I am without a doubt the black sheep of the family, but that being said, I am loved and I am accepted as I am. And, you know, I challenge I challenge them a little bit and I push and shove it a little bit, but I know when to stop too, right? So, but I'm what not thinking say, anymore. What can you say about rebels in society and the thing that they do for all of us, what, what's so important about a rebel in our culture? Well, we're, we're free thinkers. We're, we're the people that, that make the rest of the world grow and evolve and, and learn new things. And yeah, because we won't take no for an answer. And because we're brats, we are, we're brats. And that, that, I, I say that to, to the sales manager. I'd said that in a conference of sales manager not too long ago. I, I don't put that in my publicity, but um, <laughs> I said, you're dealing with brats. They want the biggest toy, the most expensive toy. They want the best territory and they don't want to work for it because, you know, you, you they deserve it just by being so goddamn Awesome. Um, and when you're dealing with a bunch of five-year-olds that are high on sugar, <laughs> you, you don't get them to behave. You build a better playground. And if you start micromanaging your, your rebels, without it's your sales rep or your daughter, it doesn't matter. If you try to micromanage a rebel, all you are asking for is that person to lie to you and they're going to. What are the five things that you could say are the things that make you a rebel? If you had a checklist and how, what five things would they have to say yes to, to know that you're a rebel? Oh, wow. Oh, I'm going to need a recording of that one. Um, oh my God. Um, don't care about rules because rules don't apply to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we truly think that don't apply to us. Um, this is not this is not pretty much I'm going to say it anyways. We're kind of good at lying. Good at lying. Got it. Yeah, it's it's but it's not about deceiving the other person. That's the that's the different for me. That's the difference between it's benevolent lying. A, yeah. With, with the difference between the rebel that lies and just a plain liar to for like for a manipulative person is we don't lie to deceive you we lie so we're free you know since you mentioned catholicism i think in the 10 commandments god did put that caveat into the do not lie commandment <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't remember them <laughs> There's a little asterisk, and if you look at the very bottom, it says, except for sales reps and rebels. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I don't know. All right. So Um, we got two, three more. A sure sign that that people are rebel. Freedom is the most, I don't know if I've said that. Freedom is the most important thing in a rebel's life. So uncontainable. They just really. Unmanageable. Unmanageable. Yeah, that, yeah. that's, yeah. Uncontainable, that's unmanageable. And, um, hmm. The envy of everybody else. No, I don't think so. I don't, I, I, no, I would have to disagree with that. Personally, I think we're funny. I think most rebels are funny. Or they find humor in a lot of things. And what is it that we rebels do that helps society so much? Oh, we make it grow because we push the we push the boundaries all the time, everywhere on everybody, and we push everybody's boundaries. So you don't, you know, like to form a diamond, you need pressure. The same thing. Got so it. yeah, that I think that's the biggest one is we make we make it we make in, we make status quo impossible. 
That's what red belts do. Nice. Well, isn't there an element to a status quo in these four bullet points? We still have one more coming, but that's okay. We could we could <laughs> land on four. Um, Thank you. So, like, there's an element of can a rebel rebel against what a rebel is? Can oh yes, yeah, because. I think it is changing. I'm certainly doing what I can to change it uh, in my small way and in my small contribution. But I think rebellious is seen um, as as negative. And I don't think it is. And you mentioned earlier with your brother and your father, you know when to stop. And maybe that's a part of productive rebellion is knowing when to pull back. Yeah, it is pull back because I'll come back. <laughs> right. right. It's, when it's no knowing how to light up on the gas, on the, on the, on the gas, on the gas yeah. pedal. Yeah. yeah. I'll, would, I'll come back. I'll come back. That's for sure. I'll find the, the right way, the right moment, because sometimes it's, it's about knowing your horse too, knowing when, when you, you know, when you deep, dig this apron in or not. Yeah. I have a two part question. Okay. Is you're, you're, you're the sneaky little one, aren't you? Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Watch out. laughs> um, um, is there a distinction in your mind and how would you um, illuminate the distinction between a rebel and an outlaw? And what are some French words that are synonymous with rebel or outlaw? Huh. Okay, for me, I don't know if that's accurate or not. For me, an outlaw and a rebel, the distinction between the two is the rebel doesn't do it to break the law. He just breaks the law because he need that's what he needs to do. And not that they all need break the law. That's not what I'm saying. Or break the rules. I'll say rule um, in order. I think the motivation is different. I think that some outlaw, the motivation is breaking the law. And the rebel's motivation isn't breaking the law. He just doesn't care that if he's breaking the law. Um, and French word for a rebel is rebel, is the same thing. <laughs> That's very easy. <laughs> so as moped outlaws, we're doing it just to be bad boys, not, not necessarily for any core principles. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You tell me that that means that depends what it means to you. Well, I would say that our name is more in alignment with the rebel definition, the rebel yeah. definition. Yeah, I didn't but get we're willing from to you. go. You're not tattooed on your face, or <laughs> but we're willing to, if we need to, step outside what people consider normal <laughs> and what the laws of society, i.e., cancel culture and thought control, people. <laughs> want to put us in like no not going there i like that i love you and why moped <laughs> all right we'll give you the real quick short story when i was in my 20s we needed a name for our podcast and we were telling this story um on a live stream <clears throat> in my 20s i tried to outlaw the mill valley police that's where i live outrun okay. Outrun, yeah. Outrun the Mill Valley police on this moped. I had no headlight. It was broken down. And um, I had three grams of mushrooms that were, I mean, three ounces of mushrooms grammed out. <laughs> and I got caught. <laughs> so He got oh, caught the for the bad moped. I've heard all day, dude. Thank you. got for that. caught for the bad moped, but the mushrooms were in video cases, VHS cases. And they didn't look inside them. Yeah, so they brought me to jail. My friends bailed me out. They had me back the VHS cases. Oh, and my God. Then I was in the elevator, and I said to my friend, hey, guess what? He goes, shut up. We haven't left yet. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a fu that's even funnier. Yeah. yeah. And, and the way we got the name was that we were calling ourselves Crackers Jacks, which <laughs> is considered a trigger word for 
people who are the victims and the generational descendants of the victims of slaves. And oh. so we, we didn't want to be triggering that with our name. And so we were talking about the problem we were having on one of our live episodes. And one of our fans, who's also a lifelong friend, a woman named Lauren Gonzalez, Hi, Lauren. chimed in on the chat and said, how about moped outlaws? And so Lauren Gonzalez is the one who coined the term and she oh. gave it to us after Greg told that story on one of our early podcasts. See, we love Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. And she's a rebel. Yeah. She, she's well, a I love rebel. her more now. Yeah. She's a good rebel. You guys would, you guys would be talking and having, having a few beers and drinking. Hey, I don't drink alcohol, but if she has a podcast, she can invite me. <laughs> oh, she doesn't. Oh, okay. But, um, then I'll invite her to mine. There you <laughs> go. I'm wondering because I have this very American idea that there is a strong differentiation between French Canadian and British Canadian. But yeah, there is. Well, but so when I heard you speak of the military, it sounds like it's a very cohesive element. That yeah. is no, that's not true. The, no, that's me. Ah, because I, I am a, I'm French Canadian, but I, I'm, I'm, my culture is as Anglo as, as, as uh, it is Franco. So, so that, that, that really is me. And, and actually I, I speak French in my daily life. I mean, I live in a small uh, French town just on the, on the outskirt of Montreal, but um, don't watch French television. Don't read French books. Don't. Yeah. But I'll go see Quebecois stand up comic in French and, you know, I'll go to Yaki Haka or comedy club in, in English as well. So it's, it's, it's my culture. There's a big, big, big difference between the two. I think that the generations following me, following mine, is there's going to be less and less of a difference just simply because they're connected to the world and they have been all their lives, right? Mm. Because of Facebook and Instagram right. and all that and all that good stuff. So, yeah, and I mean, with the with internet now, you can be friends with people all over. So, and so, what would you say the distinction is between <laughs> French Canadians and and UK Canadians and? Uh. We, because of our, of our French uh, heritage, we're, we get we make everything more complicated, like paperwork. I mean, if you emigrate to Canada, you're going to deal with Immigration Canada. But if you immigrate in Quebec, you'll be de- dealing with Immigration Canada and Immigration Quebec, and that's the only province in the entire country that that happens. Um, here, you, you, if you were to live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and you want to work in construction, you find a job and you start working. And eventually, you know, you, you need for someone that's in that job to actually, actually say, yeah, 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 that person is, is trained and that person does a good job and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it's, I don't know how many hours because it depends on the trade, but, in Quebec, you got to go to school and then you got to have an exam and then you have to work with someone that hmm. is trained. And so it'll, it'll take you like four years before you get your, your permit to be a real electrician because goodness gracious, electricity is so freaking complicated. So it's very French. It, we, it is less than in France because my, my sister lives in France and, yeah, she's actually immigrating there. She married a Frenchman, God bless her soul. And uh, she's trying to save them one at the time. And uh, and they ended up having to get remarried, even though they had been married for 10 years, just because of paperwork. Wow. Because they weren't accepting their marriage certificate because the, peop- the piece of paper was more than 90 days old. Well, the piece, the new piece of paper is going to say to God the same goddamn thing that it does on this one. But yeah, so it's so they ended up getting remarried in Quebec. It wouldn't be like that, but yeah, it's. I would say, be, and I lived in while well, being in the military. I've lived in uh, the other provinces, and it's yeah less complicated, is but the they are Canadian, less fun than we are. Is the Canadian Prime Minister 
in charge of all of Canada? Yes. So, so it's a, it it works a little bit like you, like you guys. You guys have a president. We have a prime minister, and and we have and governors. Each, and each yeah, for us, it's prime minister, a provincial prime minister, and um, and so, so it's like your state governor. Our prime minister, our provincial prime minister, is like your state governor. See, yeah. it's typical. A Canadian knows more about our system than we know about theirs, and so they can <laughs> teach us. But you know why. Because I used to watch West Wing. That's the only reason I know anything about American politics. Because I don't understand. I really, and I know it's never, and more than likely is never going to happen, you guys, but I don't understand why you only have two parties. Because well, we don't have a My heart idea. aches about this question. I cannot tell you, as Izzy, how much my heart aches about this question right now. You're, you're, you, you, you guys are electing a king. We're not. We're a democracy. There's, there's. Even if you are the prime minister, you may not be in the majority seat, and you may have to negotiate every goddamn thing. And yeah, so yeah, it's just yeah. West Wing is where I was educated yeah. from, Mark. <laughs> God, what's the great show, show, dude? What, what can I watch? <laughs> what can I watch that would t- t- teach me about Canadian parliamentary politics? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Got it. There was a good movie um, and TV series about um, about Pierre Trudeau, which is Justin Trudeau's dad, who also was the Prime Minister of Canada uh, when I was a kid. Hmm. There was there's a there's a good movie about his life. It was. I'll uh, look into that. Yeah, it was very well made. Yeah. Right. You are so much fun. How do people get in touch with you? Izzy.izzyfortin.com. So that's my email. Izzy at Izzyfortin.com. And honestly, I hang on LinkedIn. So Isabel with an E, not an A. It's not Isabella. So Isabel Fortin, like it's written right there um, on LinkedIn. That's where pretty much I hang. And what's your ideal client relationship? Like who would you love to reach out to you for, for what you do? Uh, anybody that is the sales team leader or sales team manager who can't control their rebels, they've tried everything and it's not working and they are actually open in getting that done and doing it without the heartache and the pain. When can we go ahead? When can we expect you running for prime minister of Canada? Oh, never. That's, that's an easy. No, 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 no. Life's too short, dude. (laughs) No. And there are some dangerous pictures of me out there. (laughs) Got it. When can we see your dangerous pictures? (laughs) Well, you, we would have to find a few X's and, uh, awesome. That's right. So, real quickly. We have a we have a question that we always end our podcast with. It's Uh-oh. a very um, important spiritual I like person. That. It's kind of like the what you uh, talked about the test you have for everyone that they take on. We think we did that with one question. Okay. We might be wrong, but before we ask that, real quickly, what brought you to Los Angeles? Now or when no. I went? Oh, no, when you were when you drove your motorcycle from LA to Montreal, why were you in LA? Uh, to drive back the motorcycle to Montreal. So you saw a motorcycle for sale in LA? No, I did that. So there's a tradition in my. That's a good question. There's a tradition in my family that when we turn the big numbers, like forty or fifty or whatever, and and we do a family trip. And we call them the our DNA trip. So if you don't share your D, our DNA, you're not invited. So it's my dad, my sister, my brother, and I, and that's it. Wow. We the the spouses, boyfriend of the week in my case, and their husbands and wives in their case are just simply not invited. So we started that when my sister turned forty because we brought my dad back to Germany. That was the trick, and we brought dad to. Um, <clears throat> London, England, when uh, he turned 80, and that was quite a trip. So in 2021, in the middle of a pandemic, we were supposed to go to Cape Town, South Africa for my 50th birthday, but we can travel. 
So I ended up renting a cottage an hour away from my house where I went with a friend of mine and my dog. So uh, fast forward one year, <clears throat> my brother is a sky, he's retired now and he's a skydiver and he, because skydiving is not that great in the winter in Canada because it gets too cold. He spends his entire winters in Paris Valley, California. Okay. And he rides his motorcycle there. And so because we couldn't do my the trip for my 50th birthday, he just sent me a DM and said, hey, I'm driving back from LA to Montreal in my motorcycle. Do you care to tag along? I said, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so I did that. But I, I was in LA for less than 24 hours. I didn't see anything but the hotel and the airport. That's awesome. But you are the type of person, your brother DMs you, hey, you want to drive a motorcycle from LA to Montreal? You're like, yeah, yeah I'm there. Of course. That's awesome. And, and I, I, I told him and at any point, I reserve the right to tell you, drop me off at the next airport. Oh, so you were and, on the back of his bike? Yeah, yeah, I was on the bike of his ah. bike. Yeah. So, and he said, okay. And I, I was, when I left, I was 80% sure that that's what's going to, was going to happen. And we got to Nashville. We took a day off in Nashville. And, uh, and I said, well, I made it to Nashville. I might as well make it to Montreal. Nice. So, yeah, Very it was fun. Cool. Very cool. All right. You guys are great. This is a great show. I love it. Well, thank you. Um, I have to have you on mine now. So well, we we're, up. we're down. <laughs> you can ask <laughs> us all the hard questions. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it'd be sweet revenge for me. Yeah. We'll do our best to look pretty. Careful oh. what you wish for. Oh, I love that. I didn't uh, I didn't traumatize you guys, no? No, yeah, but not yet. you can still try with this last question. You might. Oh. Yeah. So here it is. Eminem or Foo Fighters? Foo Fighters. Do you care to say more about why? Uh, because of the positive, the positivity of the lyrics. However, I love Eminem. I really do. I just resonate more with the Foo Fighters. Yeah, right. I I I love Eminem. I think I think he's a genius. I really do. He's a troubled genius, but he's still a genius. Yeah, he's a rebel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a little bit more than me too. Because yeah. <laughs> he truly don't give a fuck. <laughs> I care a little bit. <laughs> Hi, Izzy. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, uh, guys. Your pleasure. Thanks. You can and have we, me on anytime you want. If you're looking for people to, to have on, let me know. I can send a lot of people your way. You, get, you would enjoy. Yeah, that sounds great. Wonderful. Have a great afternoon, guys. You too. Recording stopped.